What the If is brought to you by listeners like you. Thanks to our Patreon members, patreon.com slash whattheif. Go there now and find out how you can become a member and get all kinds of cool rewards. And thank you for supporting our mission for science education and science fun. Welcome to What the If. Garbage edition. Not going to beat around the bush. Haha. <laughs> Should um, we be saying that about our podcast? I was the garbage edition. <laughs> I was going to. I was going to clarify. Bit that of a that, cell phone there. Yeah. <laughs> cell phone. Yeah. Uh, that is not a statement of the quality of the show. That is the state a statement of the topic of the show. Oh, I've been right. reading these referee reports wrong all these years. All right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly um so uh we'll get to that in a second that's just a tease just a tease but uh i want to welcome our hosts here um um that lovely voice you heard last was uh matthew stanley professor uh his of the his professor <laughs> professor of the history of science mm-hmm. at new york university how are you sir uh i'm pretty good um there is, however, a uh, mirror-plated garbage truck parked outside my office this morning. Really? Um, so that may have been a sign. <laughs> mirror-plated. Mm-hmm. Sort of it's a very disco. Fancy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing. That is cool. You know, I had I uh, I have a friend, Randy Woods. Perhaps he's listening. Shout out to Randy out in Seattle, who was a writer for a long time uh, with a magazine called Waste Age. And uh, it was a sanitation industry uh, magazine. And uh, Waste Age just seemed like a great, I'm sure that whoever named that also was making a comment on society. I thought that was quite beautiful. Um, And uh, one of, I remember one of the articles he wrote was he actually was sent up to New York City. He was down in D.C. where the magazine was based. Anyway, he was sent up here to do a story on an artist who had been hired by the sanitation department to do all kinds of creative things with the uh, sanitation trucks. Oh, nice. All right. This may well be the, the product this of that. Could be. Could be. I actually think I've seen something, like a, at least like a garbage truck past that had like art on it. I was uh-huh, very uh-huh. surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that program is still going. Um, the idea of a mirror on a garbage truck is quite brilliant. Mm. If you think about it. Yeah. Yeah. So if anybody wants to see it, it's at the corner of uh, Broadway and Washington Place down in the village. So come on back. Hanging out. Hanging out. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You could do, uh, boy, in this current, you know, in in the selfie generation, I think that's a, you got to do that. That's, that would be great for selfies. Here I am in front of a garbage truck. Um, Gabby Panicia is also here, virologist from Rockefeller University. Um, how, How are things going up there? Good. I was actually not here for most of the week. I was at a uh, conference in uh, sort of D.C. area. I was at the HHMI headquarters. It was a lot of fun, an absolute whirlwind. I am exhausted. (laughs) What was that headquarters, you said? HHMI. HHMI. Their headquarters is really nice. (laughs) Oh, yeah? That's the Howard Hughes Medical Institute? 
Yeah, yeah. Correct? So they've got like two. Pl- they have like one actual physical lab space, which is very recent, and then the uh-huh. headquarters, since they're mostly a, a funding institution. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. And so when they hold conferences, it's all the PIs who have HHMI funding, not all at once, but you know, spread across the year. Um, so it wound up being like nice. I got to meet other of the the Gilliam fellows for the first time huh. in since I've had the fellowship because all of our stuff has been virtual and trying to meet people or remember people's faces off of Zoom has been impossible. <laughs> uh, so yeah. it was, it was yeah. amazing. Oh, what was it like being at an in-person thing after all this time? Oh, it was so nice. It was so nice <laughs> just to talk to people. Yeah. Uh, and, and conferences too, um, like especially academic conferences, they tend to be a lot, like yes, you listen to talks, yes, you go to poster sessions and talk about science, but they tend to be like very relaxed. A lot of it's social. Um, so you sort of just get to hang out, make friends, you know, all of the fun bits of networking without it being so formal as to call it networking. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Now, where are people still wearing masks? Is it, are we still in that age? It's like 50-50, it I think. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, it really feels like we're coming out of it. Well, I mean, we they tested us aggressively. Like, uh-huh, we had to test uh-huh. before we got there. We tested the minute we landed. We tested uh-huh. when uh-huh. we got to the site. We tested again when we got to the site, but this was a PCR. Um, and then we got the results back from that, and then it was like, okay, you're cleared. And then, oh, that's then it was more like you can wear masks or not wear masks after we had all been tested so aggressively. Right, um, right, right, right. But I was cranking through antigen tests, basically, because they were like, when in doubt, just take another test. Wow. And that's like the 15-minute test? Yeah, yeah, that's a 15-minute test. Yeah, 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 very cool. All right, so um, getting to our topic this week, our if. um, Matt, would you explain to those who are new, who have just stumbled in, who have just fallen off the uh, mirrored garbage truck and and said, what the if? What is what the if? Well, this is where everything about reality is up for grabs. And we usually uh, uh, make some specific choices about what we're going to get rid of, what we're going to change, what we're going to add. So sometimes that uh, gives humans a third foot. Um, sometimes <laughs> that means all red things are blue. Uh, or sometimes, uh, as today, we perhaps see the, uh, the, the barest glimmerings of the end of our dominance of the planet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, and from these discussions, from these whimsical discussions, a lot of science falls out. Basic yeah, sometimes Hopefully we learn Lessons. some things. Yeah, it's a little science, a little science fiction. Um, and uh, Gabby, you found this week's story. What, what was this? Uh, just give us a little setup. Before we, in- we, will, we always introduce the if. We, these are thought experiments. This is another way of saying it. These are thought experiments that we run. And so um, like runners uh, before the race, we gather, we, we stretch, you know, and we get ready before, and then we plant our feet inside those little, I don't know what you call those, because I don't know much about athletics. There's those little things you put your shoes in on the track before they fire the gun uh, and begin the experiment. So we're stretching. Gabby, what's the context? What, what did you come across this week that was so interesting? Yeah, so I wind up um, looking at science and nature articles a lot. One, because they're very rigorous science, but also to th- like they're usually pretty cool. They pull st- like stories from every facet of science, not just you know my facet, which is extremely molecular. Um, and so in looking for ideas, I stumbled across this really great article 
um, titled Australia's Cockatoos are Masters of Dumpster Diving, and now they're learning from each other. And there's a nice subheading that the spread of the practice suggests some birds may have culture. Um, so Kathleen O'Grady wrote this article, um, and I think the the introduction to it is is really interesting. Um, so apparently in and this is from the article, in recent years, some cockatoos living in the Sydney suburbs have figured out how to open household garbage cans. And it goes on to say that other cockatoos have picked up on the trick and the behavior is quickly spreading. What's more, birds in different locations are using slightly different methods to open cans, which is making this the first time that a parrot has been found with local foraging subcultures. Um, so Whoa. this immediately <laughs> jumped out at me because it's really cool, right? That they're yeah. passing along this information. Um, and what's particularly neat about the paper that's being referenced in this article is it also talks about the humans and at our battle to stop <laughs> the cockatoos from getting into the trash bins. Um, and so there's this arms race between the cockatoos trying to get into the trash cans and teaching each other how to get into trash cans. And human beings are trying to stop the cockatoos from getting into the trash cans, but also still make sure that the garbage truck can pick them up so they can't just completely <laughs> seal the lids. Yeah. Right, right, right. So, you know, I realize we we didn't, we we found this story, but we haven't prepared the, we haven't formulated the exact question. So listeners get to hear us do this process. And and maybe, Matt, you could just explain to us that in, in, um, in science, this is part of the, this is a, an important part of the process, right? There, there's something you want to study, and there's all kinds of interesting things about it. But in order to run an experiment, what what do you have to do? To yeah, to you need to choose pretty carefully exactly what it is you want to study, um, and often that comes in the form of formulating a hypothesis, um, mm. a guess about how you think something is going to operate. Uh, uh, but generally speaking, you've got to know what it is you're looking for before you can go look for it. Um, yeah. And often, if you choose the wrong thing, you just waste your time. <laughs> so uh, a big part of being a good scientist is um, figuring out ahead of time uh, what it is you're interested in looking at. Right. And for us, our method of science is, uh, or, or science education, let's say, is uh, extrapolation in a way where we ask, we create a scenario and, and how we define that scenario affects how we will investigate it kind of gives us the prism through which we will look at this story. So what is what is our if this week? What do we think? What if the cockatoos win? Uh, what if cockatoos become take this skill and grow in ever-increasing levels of intelligence? That'd be kind of fun. Yeah, what if cockatoos become better dumpster divers than us? Um I like the idea, too, of them just maybe figuring out how to get into almost anything. Cockatoo oh, cat that's burglars. Good. That's good. Like. <laughs> yeah. Cockatoos become the ultimate safe crackers. Okay, there we go. Okay. What if cockatoos could get into anything? And now we summon the powers and, and uh, we gather the trumpets and we ask, what the if? Cockatoos could get into anything. No, nothing is safe. No safe, no lock, no security system, no matter how elaborate or gigantic or complicated, is safe from the cute little beaks of the cockatoos. 
the horror, the horror. <laughs> <laughs> I love this idea. So, so let's let's first help about help people understand what's happening here with the garbage cans, and why is it why is this interesting? In other words, someone might say, "Well, you know, uh, when I go camping, we have to watch out for bears, and in our neighborhood, we have to watch out for raccoons." You know, keeping animals out of garbage uh, is not an unknown phenomenon. What is interesting about this? Is it the fact that no one has seen cockatoos do this, or is it that they're able to study something that they've not been able to do otherwise? So there's a couple things about it that make it interesting. The yeah. first is that for a long while, dumpster diving and cockatoos was not really a thing a lot of them did. There oh. was like three suburbs where they did this, and it has rapidly expanded. Because think about it, right? If you're a bird, that's so much food. It is very advantageous to you to be yeah. able to dumpster dive and then feast to your heart's content. Right. Um, and so they've also, in addition to like rapidly teaching each other, there have been different exact techniques that different groups of cockatoos have developed and passed on to each other. So not only are they opening the bin lids now, they're each doing it in kind of different ways. And sort of with this too, there's they also pulled the people because the cockatoos figuring out how to do this doesn't exist in a vacuum. And so it's actually really funny if you, if you look at the paper um, because they show different methods that people are using to stop the cockatoos from opening the bins. A big one is just, you know, they put bricks on top of them and the cockatoos learn, oh, I can shove the bricks off. Um, wow, so that, that just right there is interesting. The cockatoos are able to shove the bricks yeah, off, well, off I mean, they're, the... they're kind of big birds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, let's like... describe. We should describe cockatoos for people since they they may not always know. What, now, when I think of cockatoo, I believe I'm correctly imagining Peter Falk in Columbo. Didn't he have a cockatoo on his shoulder all the time? It's a big white. Oh, I do not recall. That's a deep wow. Cut. I I out old man Matt. Yeah. <laughs> 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 How is that an ouch do. for both of you? Yeah, <laughs> that was like a <laughs> that hurt everybody in this interaction. Yeah, <laughs> age Columbo, of wisdom f- is the only thing I've got going for me these days. Right, um, <laughs> Columbo, uh, a fine program, by the way. Just to, to give it, a uh, shout but out yeah, so program. a big poofy parrot. Um, yeah. I think stereotypically and, white. I don't know if they have to be. Yeah, um, these are specifically sulfur-crested cockatoos, so they are the big white ones with the yellow plume. Right. Oh, with the yellow plume. Okay, very beautiful, very beautiful. And do we know how big they are? I feel like they're... They're pretty big. Outsized, um, maybe? Yeah, kind of. Um, like, let me actually look up. Uh, I mean, if you're Australian, I'm sure in our audience you're like, yeah, I know those guys. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, this is length 20 inches long. Um, By the way, I have verified, while you've been doing that important research, I have verified that it was indeed a cockatoo that was the pet of okay. uh, Columbo on the TV show Columbo. That's a relief. Played by Peter <laughs> Falk. Wikipedia yeah. says they're bigger, 20, 17 and a half to 21 and a half inches long, or... For our uh, metric system audience, uh, 44 to 55 centimeters. Oh, nice bird. We're going to need a bigger boat. (laughs) (laughs) So, all right. So, so yeah. So, so for instance, they're able to push bricks off the top of the uh, dumpsters and then get in. 
how are they able to lift the lids of these uh, trash oh, that cans? That seems to be the amazing thing, right? Looks like yeah. they, grab, yeah, so, they, they kind of, oh, sorry, go ahead, Gabby. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. You're describing say, it. So. It looks like they're, uh, they, they kind of hang off the side with their claws and then use their beak to pull the top off. Am I seeing wow. that right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so actually not so different than, I guess, a human would do it, right? Stand next to it, pull the top. Yeah, except they're doing it with their face. <laughs> <laughs> Who among us has never opened up a trash bin a, with our face? Yeah, you know, I'm always amazed. <laughs> I've, the way that my cat gets inside a door, if the door is left open even the slightest amount, the first thing she will do is push her paws. Yeah, she, yeah. First she'll use her claws to pull the door open just a little bit more, then she'll push her paw in to get it a little bit wider. But then rather than continue just with her paws, to open the door, she will push her face into the crack, you know, and, and she will push the door open with her face, which I just find amazing. I, I do as little with my face as possible. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, so, so Gabby continue. What, what, what else are the, um, what, what makes these cockatoos exceptional or, um, and worthy of, of this study? Yeah, so, I mean, like I said, slightly different ways of opening it, and the ways of opening cluster sort of by similarity. Um, so the further away you go between, like, say, a cockatoo is successful at point A, right. and then at point B, another cockatoo is successful dumpster diving at point A and B are pretty close, they're going to have a similar technique. Yeah. But if you got point yeah. C that's, like, way out there, there might be another cockatoo who's dumpster diving and is able to do it. But their technique might also vary well, would probably vary more than cockatoo B or A. Um, and they would do something, essentially the same method of getting the lid open, but where they put their feet, what you know, what they're holding the can lid with, whether they're only holding on to the lid, um, that's what's changing. Right. And then, right. of course, you've got the people. I have to give a <laughs> shout out to Vanessa Parada, our, who we'll have to get back on the show. She is our marine biologist. Uh, from Sydney, who we've had on the show a number of times, I think uh, I'd love to get in touch with her and see if she has experienced the cockatoos. Not a, not a, not in her area of marine study, but uh, I'm sure she has a garbage can. Yes, that um, seems likely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, go ahead, Matt. Oh yeah. So it seems like one of the, the the big things we need to be considering here is not just that. Uh, the birds are smart and can solve a puzzle. Um, that's sort of known. Um, yeah. But that they're passing that information on to other birds, and then the other yeah. birds are experimenting with that knowledge to modify it. Because um, yeah. like, that's what we call culture among humans, um, is that kind of collective knowledge that gradually changes due to our experience. Um, and we've gotten pretty good at passing that knowledge around, right? We've passed around the knowledge of how to, you know, nap rocks into tools and how to make fire uh, and uh, now how to use ad blockers on YouTube, right? Uh, right. We're really good at passing around that knowledge. I was going to say that the cockatoos are doing it without the benefit of social media. Mm -hmm. um, and yet if they had social media, it sounds like this is the hot thing. You know, everybody's like, doing it. Yeah. yeah. In fact, you're talking about culture. It reminds me of like, actually made me think of like Gabby, when you were saying that in different neighborhoods, there's almost different styles, different techniques, but you could call them different styles of breaking into the camp. Made me think of like rap battles, you know, how like when rap 
the, the music form of rap, you know, was started coming up, you, you know, first of all, A, it's a hot thing. Suddenly everybody wants to do it. You know, it's this new form of expression that's happening. And in obviously first in different neighborhoods and then in different parts of the country uh, and eventually different parts of the world, people are doing it in different ways. This is like the hot thing that's happening here. And the, uh, the kids are all breaking into, <laughs> into garbage cans uh, in the cockatoo world. It's, it's, it's really happening. Um, I imagine that for scientists, this is a way to study how that happens in the, not just the animal world, but how it would have theoretically happened in our, in the human world before communication, before we had other forms well, of communication. So that's the thing, right? You don't want to lowball cockatoo communication. They're ah. vocal learners. Ah. They do have right. a sort of, Their I don't parents. want to call it language and impose everybody's conceptions of what language is on it, but they're very good at communicating information. Right. They can teach each other things. They can mimic sounds. They can create their own sounds. Yeah. Parrots, if I remember correctly, I don't know if it's all parrots, but I know parrots in the past have been recorded essentially naming their young, that there is a specific series of whistles um, that correspond to an individual, wow. and that name then follows them throughout the rest of their life. Wow. Um, so it's not like, you know, the cockatoos are just watching each other, which and that is definitely a component. Human beings watch each other to learn things all the time. See mm. YouTube. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. But, you know, it, I wouldn't necessarily lowball that there's not a form of, of communication involved in this. Mm. Um, but there is an obvious form of communication for human beings who are attempting to counter the cockatoos. Right. So similarly right. to the cockatoos developing their own subcultures of breaking into things, the human beings are developing clusters of protection for their trash cans. Um, so, for example, in, in the study, they talk about that um, protective bins were sort of geographically assorted by the protection type. Um, so they, they group how protected the bins are into five like different levels. With, you know, like level zero being, you know, it's just a trash can. There's nothing. Um, Level two has like no alteration to the functional alteration of the bin itself. It might just be like, you know, closed, but maybe like you've got like a bungee cord. Level yeah. three is like an unfixed object that's preventing it from being lifted, like a rock. Um, uh, and level four level is like three. something that prevents it flipping. People have been sticking shoes in the hinge of the trash can um, <laughs> to prevent like the lid from flipping up. And then level five is like the greatest alteration to, pretend, uh, to prevent opening, which is an attached weight. Um, so I think uh, there's, there's a, a photo that shows like two filled big, like two liter bottles of water that are like, um, zip tied to the trash can. Um, and it seems that neighborhoods are doing these. So if everybody in your neighborhood is putting, you know, level two to level three protection on your trash cans, then that's what you'll have. Um, but if every all of your neighbors are level four or five, that's what you'll have. Um, oh, and so yeah. what people are doing is also clustering based on how people in that area are figuring out how to keep cockatoos out of their trash. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, whoever is, is last on that part of the arms race will get all of the cockatoos visiting their house, yes. right? Yeah. Um, that's yeah. Right. So that's an interesting multi-layer thing. Yeah. Also, yeah, I and so imagine... apparently, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, they, cockatoos can open up to level three. Right. Four oh. and five, they haven't gotten around yet. Yet, exactly. If they start to team up, they might. I don't know how much yeah. they team up. Well, they're sharing knowledge, right? I mean, that's... Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Also, I could imagine that uh, if the neighborhoods are like any neighborhoods I've ever lived in, most of the neighbors don't talk to each other. There's a few who do. There's always the guy who's always out, and he talks to you as you walk by, but most, most people sort of keep themselves. And I imagine that a lot of what goes on is the neighbors literally just observe what the other trash cans have on them. And, oh, okay, I should try that. You know, they don't need a lot of discussion about it. They say, oh, mm-hmm. everyone seems to be putting bungee cords on it, so let me put a bungee cord on mine. Um, That's the thing. There's an immediate selective pressure, right? You yeah, all right. put your cans out at the same time. Right. You come back after the garbage man is there. Yeah. And if yours are broken into, but your neighbors and everybody else who Suckers. has yeah. put other things on there, you notice immediately because your trash is everywhere yeah. and there are cockatoos all in it. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, then, you know, you've perfected, you've put a brick on it. Everything goes quiet for a week or two. And then again, same thing. Yeah. They've gotten back into your trash. They've gotten into your neighbor's trash. But the neighbor who fixed the weight to the trash can, they're fine. That's right. That's right. Even even more so, it's got to be totally humiliating if you're the one house on the street whose garbage cans just have garbage, who's who just has garbage all over the street, you know, because oh, yeah. the animals got in there. Um, the other thing that strikes me is it's a little bit. It's interesting. It's not not strictly a security issue in the sense of if you wanted to lock up your garbage in a way no one could get in, you could do that. Um, this is more of an, almost like a sport because the human humans, the, the uh, sanitation workers, need to be able to get into your can. And, and, and they don't want to be hindered too much by it, right? They need to be able to do it swiftly. Um, and so that's what adds the interesting factor to this that it's sort of the weakness and the ma- the complication and the magic, you know. Yeah, that's right. Because you can always seal seal it in concrete, but then it's not a very good right. garbage bin anymore. That's right. Um, I mean, there's this you know apocryphal tale of the Yellowstone Park Ranger. The tourist asks, "Why can't you just make a, a totally bear-proof, um, uh, you know, garbage can?" He says, "Well, yeah. because there's a significant overlap between the smartest bears and the dumbest tourists." So if you build something that actually keeps the bears out, then there's a lot of humans who can't use it too. Right, um, right. So I don't know if actually maybe the cockatoos are, are going to be inadvertently making the humans smarter. Um, oh. there, there's some sense in which they're providing selective pressure on us, um, depending on, on how useful garbage bins are for reproduction, I guess. Yeah, yeah. There is or, a level of engineering and innovation in this, which I think mm-hmm, is neat. Yeah. A lot of people have at some point jerry-rigged something around their house, but this is like on a neighborhood-wide scale. So yeah. you yourself don't necessarily have to be the font of invention. You could just watch your smarter neighbor um, and then figure out what they do. But somebody in your neighborhood has to be that one cleverer person, or at least you know the cleverness shared enough that mm-hmm. your neighborhood comes up with increasing adaptations as your cockatoos also come up with increasing adaptations to get into your trash. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, it's it's also a, just a pure example of evolution in the sense that uh, to the extent that both what the cockatoos are doing and the humans are doing is really trial and error. I mean, you can put some th- thought into it, but essentially um, the entire neighborhood attacking the problem at once means there's a lot of different variations on technique being tried and the one that works will win 
will win out, you know, just like evolution. And of course, in the on the animal side, that's purely what's happening. Um, so let's take it further now. The animals, the the uh, cockatoos have advanced beyond. Um, uh, they, they like as they say in in Silicon Valley, the cockatoos pivot. So hey, we <laughs> we we got this great. We developed this app for breaking into uh, this technique for breaking into garbage cans, and that was super fun. And now we're very well fed, and that's helping our brains. And it was just super fun. So where where else can we apply these skills? Where do they go next? Well, preferably anywhere else with food. So, I mean, uh, think about it. You are going to, you're going to need food. Even if you're like the most well-fed cockatoo, that's still going to be like your primary driver. Right. But let's say they've gotten used to coordinating. They're working in teams. They don't want trash anymore. They are going uh -huh, for uh -huh. higher value food. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. I am now imagining rudimentary cockatoo heist. Um, <laughs> All right. Because mm. I... Think about it, right? Everybody yeah. has been like mobbed by one type of bird. I have a distinct yeah. memory of getting like swarmed by geese as yeah. a, like maybe like a five or six year old because they yeah. knew I had bread. Yeah. Sidebar: Don't feed geese bread. Not good. This <laughs> was early two thousands, um, and they they knew swarm the kid. She'll drop the bag, and then we're good. Um, but the cockatoos can totally use these kind of techniques now for anything they want they yeah. can just they might figure out okay one of us needs to distract you and then while you're going to shoo the first cockatoo away from i don't know the birthday cake at the party you've now left the sandwiches unattended and we're going to take all of them yeah i love the image of cockatoos doing this because i think we know that crows also crows there's a lot always a lot of talk and, and there's been science done about crows now, and the idea of crows, you know, these sleek, giant, kind of, excuse me, evil-looking black birds. <laughs> they, they look menacing. I shouldn't say evil, but menacing. You know, the fact that they are scheming and, and teaming up seems to make sense. But here you have these fancy-looking, uh, again, I can't help but call them fancy, frilly, fluffy-looking cockatoos uh, becoming a criminal syndicate. I think yeah. kind of fun, <laughs> you know, yeah. and actually, they they would perhaps become in conflict with the crows. You know, I don't know if they have the crows down in Sydney. I'm guessing they do. I would imagine um, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the cockatoos and other, you know, they just become like another one of the five families. <laughs> well, there's another interesting thing too about cockatoos, right? So yeah. crows have also been crows and ravens have been observed tool making, but cockatoos do it too, um, mm -hmm. where they'll make some rudimentary tools for helping them get at fruit easier. Uh -huh. They'll make stuff uh -huh. from tree branches. Um, but apparently with cockatoos, um, they have something of like a captivity bias where birds in the wild won't really make tools as much as a bird in the lab setting will. Because think about it, if you're spending uh -huh. more of your brain power worrying about food, you have less brain power to devote to making things that make your life a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> if you're constantly like running around and you're, you're on the, the cockatoo grind, um, so now if you have a lot of birds that are just obsessively well-fed from getting into trash cans, getting into trash cans together, yep. um, you might get increased tool creation and use in your cockatoos. I'm not saying they're yeah. going to immediately jump to making lock picks, but give it a couple <laughs> right. thousand years, maybe. Yeah. 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 Maybe they figure that out. Yep, yeah. yep. Yeah. 
I think the cockatoos, the one thing the cockatoos have over the crows is their vocal skills, their ability to mimic humans. I think they're going to start using this to trick us, you know. Some, like, mm. Oh. Could, could, then, could start pretending big. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's yeah, I don't it's know. me, Sally. Say? Leave the sandwich box unlocked. That's right. That kind of thing. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Help me. I'm imagining the efficacy of... Yeah. yeah. I'm just imagining, too, bar- parrots are really good at mimicking children crying. Yeah. That is yeah. the easiest yeah. way to distract a parent on the playground. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. It's like setting yeah. up for a picnic. Yep. There you go. That's exactly what they do. Or they would lure you around the corner somehow. Ooh, know. that too. And then mug you. <laughs> and swarm you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. So I guess if we get to the point of lockpicks, they can be opening up doors and houses then, right? Oh, yeah. So oh, of course. Come in and help themselves. Yeah. Like like the polar bears, apparently, right? The polar bears up in the people who live in the Arctic have to really... Uh, do they have a no? The, the polar bears are often breaking into houses. It's uh, a big <laughs> thing. So, yeah, the the cockatoos are coming in. That would just be a, a polar bear coming in your house. Obviously, that's a threatening thing. It's a big thing, and yet someone imaginable. The image of cockatoos <laughs> swarming. First of all, <laughs> picking the lock with their face, <laughs> picking the lock on the front door, and then busting it open. And uh, coming in the house. And, and I think they would learn that just like all good house robbers, that it's best to do when the people aren't home, right? They could do it when the people are home. Um, but it's just it just gets messy. So um, I'm imagining the scene from Jurassic Park with like the doorknob. Yes. Kind of yeah. like right. as the velociraptor is figuring out how to open yeah. the doorknob, except it swings open and it's this tiny little white parrot. Not <laughs> <laughs> <Well>, tiny, but... <laughs> all right, somebody with Photoshop skills out there, get on that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, you know, the, the cockatoo comes to your house first dressed as a pool cleaner. It <laughs> 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 comes back later with its heist gang. Right, right. They come out. They're driving a van. They've really <laughs> advanced. <laughs> um, but where do they go next now? So, so they've, learned how to, they've learned how to rob houses. And, of course, again, they're still just robbing for food. I think the next thing they would do is they might learn to... Um, take items of value and trade them in. They might... What about this? Is this a little crazy? Maybe they go, just like the mafia, they go a little bit legitimate. They might actually <laughs> learn to modify themselves into capitalism. So they steal jewelry, for instance, which would be easy for them to carry. I can imagine them carrying a diamond necklace mm-hmm. or pearls, right? And taking them to the pawn shop and trading it in. And... and First of all, raiding raiding the pawn shop's mini fridge first, yeah. but then um, you know whatever money they get, or they probably would just break into the cash register. Why would they? Uh, that is so. Birds can definitely learn representative like representative value. Um, oh, yeah? So, for example, people have trained crows and stuff like that to find like spare change. Um, no way. And to know that like that will give me food. So it still links back to wow. food. But they can associate that value with with something else that you know go one step away from food. Um, so you could get birds by accident stealing something that's valuable, and then they have to be bribed back. And what that could do is create sort of a reinforcement of like, okay, the people tend to bribe me with food when I steal shiny things 
from the uh-huh. house. Uh-huh. 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 I will uh-huh. keep stealing shiny things from the house. Yeah. Some shiny things will be worth the food. Some shiny things won't. So if you yeah. steal a particularly glossy pen, nobody wants that back. Okay. I only steal the shiny things that are yellow and shiny because that's gold. I don't steal the the pen or the aluminum foil. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Now, there is going to be one defense the humans have. It's only going to be a temporary setback uh, or a, a temporary win for the humans and a temporary setback for the cockatoos. And that is the cockatoos are learning right now, if this is happening, to steal coins um, with the queen's face on it. But those are <laughs> going to soon be replaced with King Charles's face and they're going to be confused, and they're not going to think those are valuable. Now, maybe that's a statement on King Charles as well. Well, I, I should say but, that suggests then that uh, um, cockatoos the monarchy. can recognize human faces, which is a somewhat alarming oh. prospect, too. That's right. Um, that's I right. should also flag the fact that this is happening in Australia, and Australia yep. has previously um, lost a war to birds before, oh. so <laughs> they're not in good shape. What was that? Yes. Oh, this was the Great Emu War. I don't know about this. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, Gabby, you want to tell the tale of the Great Emu War? You do it. I'm sure yes. you could do it much better than I can, but it is one of my favorite historical yeah. things. Um, so uh, presumably most listeners are familiar with emus. Um, they're uh, ostrich-like birds, you know, bipedal, um, flightless, roughly the size of a human. Maybe, maybe it's smaller. Um, and uh, after World War One, Australia gave lots of um, farmland in the, the west of the country to homesteaders so the, the veterans could go um, start up a farm. Um, but uh, that's where the emus live. And the emus discovered that uh, the seeds that the farmers were trying to use on their farms uh, were really tasty. So the farms got overrun by swarms of emus immediately. Um, and but emus the veterans, are huge. They're, they're like as tall as people. They're they're big, yeah. That's Huge. right. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, and and they're kind of in your face too. If you've ever met one, they are not a shy and oh. retiring bird. <laughs> have um, you met an emu? I have met an emu or two in my time. Um, <laughs> uh, so the Australian war veterans decide, look, if we can fight the Germans, we can fight the emus. <laughs> so they ask the government for um, machine guns and weapons, Whoa. and they go out and try to kill all the emus. Um, and the extraordinary thing is that they fail, right? The emus win the great emu war. Um, wow. And the Australians give up. They're just like, all right, we surrender. Fine. You can just have this part of the, the island. Amazing. Um, so, I, so I'm just saying, Australia doesn't have a great record at stopping <laughs> birds from doing stuff. Yeah. That's an amazing story. The great emu. Matt, I think that needs to be your next book. The I think it's wars. been written on already, unfortunately. And yeah, I don't want to yeah. antagonize my Aussie friends either. Right. Or the emus. <laughs> or the I was just saying, yeah, you don't want to antagonize the emus. <laughs> Tell it from the emu point of view. Um, that's amazing. That's amazing. So so uh, as we wrap up, because that, that is a spectacular climax, I think, to our story. Um, where where does this where does this wind up? We go a hundred years in the future. The cockatoos have won the, the cockatoo wars of Australia, of course. Well, they've I'm sure it's migrated around the world by this point. It's like Planet of the Apes or something, right? It doesn't stay in Australia. Um, you know, cockatoos can break into anything. They've learned how to use money. They're using their vocal skills. They must be ruling the they must have taken over the UN at this point. Well, see, the breakout from Australia is gonna be tricky, right? Oh, um, that's true. Because they have well, they get to get on cross they get on boats. 
yeah. they have to well that's true actually yeah, they can get on boats oh that's right and i guess they could just um smuggle themselves onto planes and things too because they can can um, <laughs> unlock the cargo container right. uh, there's a cockatoo yeah. on this plane <laughs> so they're just everywhere in the world now um <sighs> do we just give up um and accept that the the cockatoos are our new overlords. We don't well, even think, bother putting locks on doors anymore because they can open th- them all anyway. That's right. I think the emu war gives us that lesson that we yeah. need to give up. Um, yeah, it might. I'm always looking for the optimistic outcome. Might this bring world peace? Might having a super powerful bird overlord allow us to unite and maybe find peace with our neighbors? Um, Gabby, what do you think? I'm imagining sort of more of a uh, annoyed coexistence as opposed to an overlord, <laughs> an overlord scenario. Because right. in 100 years, you know, the brain power of your average cockatoo is not going to suddenly become Albert Einstein. I mean, of course, among cockatoos, uh-huh. there will be one really, really smart, a few really, really smart ones. Um, they might read the next I, book, I, Einstein's War, and become as smart as Einstein. This is true. Um, but I, I'm imagining, you know, in much the same way that Australians already deal with them getting into things that they're not supposed to, you might have to anyway that like, you know, the cockatoo comes into the supermarket and is going to make a mess. You could try to bribe them out. Um, The supermarket has dedicated like, you know, cockatoo bribing staff. Um, (laughs) But, you know, maybe he's just actually in there to pick up some groceries with, you know, the money that he stole from some old lady's purse. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. I like it. I think. Well, what did you call it? An, an annoyed existence. I think that. Oh much, yeah. That pretty much describes the United Nations as it is. <laughs> it's just. A, <laughs> I can imagine all the delegates sitting in the United Nations is like mm, an annoyed existence. <laughs> <laughs> you got to sit next to these people. Oh well. Um, well, Gabby, thank you for kicking off quite the uh, quite the spectacular. Fluffy and uh, previously adorable and now intensely threatening um, <laughs> scenario of the cockatoo, the cockatoo triumph. Um, Matt, is there anything you'd like to plug this week? Do you have any security uh, uh, anti-cockatoo paraphernalia? <laughs> no, so. Oh, actually, yes. The um, So the Discard Studies Conference going on at NYU Gallatin uh-huh. uh, this uh-huh. weekend at the corner of Broadway and One Washington Place. So if you want to see how some scholars are thinking about uh, garbage and its role in our society, come on by. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I can give a shout out. I didn't get to mention it, but uh, um, I've actually I made a documentary about a photographer um, this is about a different project that she's done in her life, but she is her name is Jay Dosko, D-O-S-K-O-W, and she is currently the official photographer of the Fresh Kills Landfill Project, which is a huge, which is one of the was one of the largest landfills in the world. It's on Staten Island in New York City, and it is undergoing a 25-year transformation from landfill into really magnificent, beautiful, bucolic park. I mean, it looks like a forest and meadows and things like that. You would never know. And she is uh, documenting that. So if you look up, if you want to see an interesting story of uh, another transformation of how garbage transformed our world and how the humans eventually fought back against their own waste, uh, look up the Fresh Kills Park project. Um, Gabby, is there anything you'd like to plug? 
Uh, for one, just the joke that Fresh Kills Landfill is uh, a terrifyingly <laughs> ominous name. Um, zero out of ten, whoever named yeah. that one. Yeah. Um, we have to blame the Dutch. Just, it's some sort of Dutch yeah. thing. Yeah, I've, I've definitely seen something kills before. Right. Um, but the particular combination of Fresh Kills Landfill. <laughs> there's something yeah. about those three. It's the biggest in the world. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. I'm so Ooh. used to it. I never. Yeah. You're right. Good heavens. Thank you for pointing that out. Um, sh- people should get their booster shots, I'm guessing. That's a new thing. Yes. There's new booster shots. Yeah. Right. So there yeah, there are brand new booster shots. It is another vac- it is another COVID vaccine basically, but it is using yeah. spike proteins from Omicron now instead of the original virus. Um, so hopefully it'll tailor your, your immune response closer to what's now circulating now that the virus has been rapidly evolving. Yeah. Um, so get your boosters. I have to do that myself. <laughs> I'm Me still too. part of the clinical trial, so I have to call I have to call them up and then go up to Mount Sinai to get my shot if I want to stay in the trial. Um, uh, so pandemic's still happening. Hopefully right. winding and, down, knock on wood a million times, but still yeah. worth it to get your boosters. And you can get your flu shot at the same time, by the way, um, which is, seems like a good thing to do. Um, yeah. Get a flu so, shot, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I got to do that, too. I mean, it, it is so funny how it is. I was almost going to say it's like a pun. It's not a pun. It's exactly a security update. It's like a new. You, right. yeah. you got to download your new security yeah. update, your patch. Yeah, exactly. Um, Wonderful. Well, thank you all for listening. Patreon listeners, you are going to get a special bonus, uh, as you do every week, bonus content, um, a little extra after-show discussion in, in which we talk about, sometimes we extend uh, the discussion of the topic of the week, sometimes we just talk about other stuff that's going on in our lives and in the world of science. Um, if you would like to uh, get some of that um, bonus content and you're not getting it now, become a Patreon member. You can go to patreon.com slash what the if and uh you can join all these uh, wonderful people i want to give a shout out to one of our patrons trying to give a shout out to, to a different patreon member uh each week and um this week i want to give a shout out to don mundus uh don mundus has been with us he's one of our founding patreon members and don has been with us since the beginning we thank you so much don for uh, for all your support if you want to join people like don and all our other patreon members go ahead and, uh, and do that at patreon.com slash what the if and now um matt would you help us in our um final ritual where we summon the gods and tell wow. us what do we what why do we do this oh well we we embrace the existential horror that we have generated with our modification reality. It's true. Uh, so we find ourselves quietly in our kitchen just over the Wallace Strait from Australia when the first group of cockatoes <laughs> disembarks from the ship and we see them coming up the driveway and we think to ourselves, well, it's no problem. The front door is locked. And then the sound of clicking and a tiny sulfur-crested head pokes through the doorframe and we scream, What the Thank you all for listening. Shout out to our cockatoo overlords and we'll see you all next week. 